Well, good morning, church. We are uh, uh, here in the second week of August, and it is good to be in-person worship. More and more people are coming back to our services, and I would uh, just, in-person is so much better than live stream. I mean, I love live stream, and I'm glad you're joining by live stream. We're trying our best to be wise. We're doing a social distancing mask. We're wiping down everything between services, so encourage you to come back when you feel comfortable. It's been encouraging to see so many young children here, and they're seeming to be do, doing okay with it. Also, I was told before the first service by somebody that I look younger on the video screen than in person, so I may just do live stream until I die, and uh, so that was good to hear. We're in the book of Luke, and it's a section of Luke where Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. It's just a few chapters where we try to understand the mind and the passion of Christ and his mission and what he's uh, accomplishing. And last week, we were in Luke chapter 17, where the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said to him, when will the kingdom of God come? And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the kingdom of God is here, it's Jesus. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated in the person and work of Jesus. The kingdom of God is among you. And so as, as Jesus lived his perfect life and died on the cross and rose victorious and ascended to heaven, uh, the kingdom of God was initiated. The consummation is when he comes again. And so the imagery is from World War II on June the 2nd or 6th of 1944, uh, a cataclysmic glorious event happened called D-Day when the Allied forces came into France and broke the back of Nazi Germany. And from that point forward, people that knew what was happening said the war is over. There's going to be a war of attrition, but the Nazis cannot stand up warfare on the west and, and on the east. And so between June 4 of 19, or 1944 and May the 8th of 1945, what, 11 months, there was this interregnum between D-Day and Victory in Europe Day when the Nazis surrendered. We live in the time between the inaugurated kingdom and the final reality of Jesus coming again. So we pray your kingdom come, which means, Lord, so rule us by your word and by your spirit that we more and more submit to you and that the kingdom of darkness is continuously pushed back and the kingdom of light is advanced by, by the power of your word as it's energized by the Holy Spirit. And, and so we live in what one person referred to as the already but not yet. And then you go to John chapter 7. It's even a stronger statement where Jesus stood up at the Feast of Tabernacles and he poured out some water and he says, if any man is thirsty, verse 37, let him come to me and drink. For he who comes to me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And it says, by this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but the Spirit had not been given universally because Jesus had not been glorified. So when Christ, perfect life, died on the cross, rose victorious, ascended to heaven, he was glorified. And he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. And so we pray with more fervor, thy kingdom come. This week I was reading in an article about uh, the, the Uyghur people of China. Uyghurs are a 10 million people group 
in northwest China. They're Muslims. They've been there for centuries and centuries and centuries. They were part of the trade route, the Silk Road. And this article started off, that images more than words can awake the world from its slumber. We were told time and again, this will never happen again, but it has happened again, close quote. Uh, right now, there are 1.5 to 2 million Uyghurs in, quote, re-education re camps. It's, something, it's, it's a genocide. It's a horrible thing in our day. Uh, a drone, the, the picture, the, a drone went over a big train station. And there were hundreds of people sitting down in shackles with shaved heads waiting to get on a train. They were the Uyghurs being taken to, quote, re-education camps. And in addition to that, we know that, in, in, for example, in China today, I was reading an article by a, a woman named Nia Shi, and she is an outstanding spokesman for religious freedom and liberties and liberty of conscience. And she's been writing about this for 40 years. And she said in this article, in the Protestant churches in China last Christmas, robed choir members raised their voices in song, but this time their music was not traditional carols and hymns of praise to God. It was, quote, my motherland and I, close quote. And other anthems paying homage to the Chinese Communist Party. And then she talked about the agreement that the Catholic Church came with two years ago with the, with the, with the communist authorities where they came together and says now in many Catholic churches, the picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, is being replaced with a picture of Chairman Xi Jinping. And went on to say that Protestant churches are being shut down and leaders are being imprisoned and churches are being bulldozed. And she said this, in, in, in a world distracted by pandemic, China's communist government is aggressively consolidating dominance over its tens of millions of Christians. This should trouble all China observers, whether Christian or not. And, and, and as I read that, I, and I thought about the persecution and I thought of the church in North Korea. I thought about the church in northern Nigeria where Boko Haram is seizing really hundreds of young women and selling them into sexual slavery traffic. It's just a horrible thing. And I, I, thought, I thought about this. I thought, you know, the, the issue is whether you're a political hack or whether you're some type of totalitarian government, you cannot silence the gospel. The scripture says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so when we pray thy kingdom come, we know that there is a father in heaven who has a sure and fixed purpose for his people. And so we pray with confidence, even in the midst of, of pain. I said last week that the coming of Christ will be sudden, unexpected, and unmistakable. It's going to be observed by all. Big lightning storm across the sky, observable by all. Unmistakable and sudden. And so this passage tells us, that we're going to look at this morning, how to be prepared this week and next week for the coming of Christ. How to be prepared. So Luke 18, verse 1 starts off like this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Stop. So, so the, the point of this parable, verses 1 through 9 of Luke 18, is that we not lose heart. We live in a time when it's easy to lose heart. This pandemic is wearing everyone out. There are things that are happening that are discouraging. It's easy to lose heart. And the point of this parable is 
teaching us how not to lose heart. Listen to the same word used, lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, Paul says, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Because the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Verse 16, the same chapter, same word. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That where person is breaking down, there's disease, there's sickness, you slow down, you lose your sight, you're but, but, but the inner man is being renewed. Therefore, in the midst of the, the, the decay of life, we, we don't lose heart. Same word is used in Galatians 6 where Paul says, he says, uh, you know, I, I appeal to you, do not lose heart or grow weary in well-doing because in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. It's, it's his churches of Galatia. It's easy to lose heart. You've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years as you go down the pike. It's easy to lose heart. And he says, don't lose heart. He says, therefore, do good to all people, but especially to those of the household of faith. Again, if you will not lose heart, if you persevere, don't lose heart, don't lose heart. And it's, it's easy. I think we live in a lose heart time. This book I read two weeks ago. It's the most recent book by a guy named Al Mohler, who I deeply respect. He's a friend of our church, president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, and it's entitled The Gathering Storm. It's a play on Churchill statements as World War II hit England, but Mohler says that there's a gathering storm coming for the church in the area of family, in the area of gender identification, in the area of, uh, he says, generational differences. It says, there's a gathering storm. And it's really a, a book that should be read by all, I think, all leaders and all concerned Christians. And, but the truth is, he says, that we, we face um, potentially some very difficult days. Now, God can come in revival. We know that. But we need to be people who realize that we live in a time when it's easy to get discouraged. And let me say a couple of things. Um, I, I've told you before, I don't watch the news. I read the Wall Street Journal and I do a few podcasts, but I just, if I watch the news, it throws off my equilibrium. It just, it just does. And so I don't, I'm aware, but I'm not, I try not to be engulfed. But the other day I was looking at a couple of things and there was a person who represents one political party and he just made some statements I thought that were just filled with arrogance and pride. And I just went, oh man, don't, don't. speaking down to people. Speaking, I think, negatively of people, not giving people the benefit of the doubt. And then I went to the, another website, and there was a leader of the other party who just was lying. I mean, he was just telling lies. And I just, and I thought, you know, here, here are these representatives. And I, I mean, sometimes you wonder if, if they even talk to each other. And I'm, my mom had taught me when I was seven years old that you don't speak ill of people. You give people the benefit of the doubt. And my mama taught me when I was seven years old, you don't lie. <laughs> these guys need to go see my mama in her convalescent home and learn about these things. I mean, it's just basic. And I, I say that, I say that, two things. Number one, in this, in this present environment of, um, well, this environment, be gracious, but speak the truth. Don't be cowed into silence. We, we have an authority. Now, be gracious. Now, I thought about these two guys, and I thought about Proverbs 6, 
that says there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. I mean abomination. Number one is haughty eyes. Number two is a lying tongue. <laughs> then number three are hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. But I mean, out, of the, out of the blocks, they hit number one and number two. So we speak the truth, but we do it with dignity and grace. So I said this a few weeks ago. Let me say it again because every tour I turn, I hear this statement time after time. Uh, there's a movement that's entitled Black Lives Matter, the movement. And I've said it a few weeks ago. Let me say it again just to underscore this truth. We, we can never be involved in that movement because it is anti-family, is anti-father, is anti uh, economic prosperity is, is LGBTQ rampagingly pushing that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, so I, I sometimes I'll be watching TV and they'll say this business is supporting the movement Black Lives Matter. And I thought either either you're you've never read their website or or, or it's just a it's just a, a a public marketing ploy because you cannot believe what these people believe and still try to stay in business. So we, we need to, to, to speak these things and to say these things and, and to be incredibly gracious to people. Another thing, let me say this. In this moment where there's so much, and boy, this political year with the pandemic and this and that and so forth, if you immerse yourself in the negative, caustic, don't give people the benefit of the doubt, don't ever believe a better thing about the other person than your, I mean, that stuff can get in your soul. Don't let it get in your soul. Don't, I, I just, I'd rather read the scripture where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Or James, the wisdom from above is first of all pure, and then peace-loving and reasonable and full of mercy and good fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So Romans 12, Paul says, as much as depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So we speak the truth, we don't back down, but we do it with brokenness and love and gentleness. So that, that, that's it. But, so, so don't lose heart. So we come to this parable now, and I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to explain it to you in four sentences, and then I'm going to give you a brief seminar on prayer. Okay, this is Luke 18, listen to verse 2. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And so here's, here's the, the point of the parable. The, the, Jesus tells a parable about, about a woman. She's a widow, and she has to go to the judge. And that day, if you had to go before a judge, uh, you sent a male family member. You sent, your, obviously, her, your husband is dead, so you send your oldest son, or you send your brother, or you send another relative to represent you before a judge. But in this woman's case, in this parable, she had no one. She was totally on her own. 
And so, and so she, she had no one to be her advocate, no one to defend her. She went on her own. And it just so happened in this parable that the judge that she went to was a party hack. He was an, a man who didn't fear God or respect man. Jesus says that twice. He didn't fear God, didn't respect man. He was a self-consumed man. And, but yes, yeah, she kept coming. And he said this. He said, I, 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 you know, I'm going to get rid of this situation because this woman is bothering me. And so he listened to her. And then here's Jesus' point. I'll read it again. Will not God give justice to his elect, his eternally loved people, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? It just kind of reminds me of what he says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, he says, ask, you shall receive, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door shall be opened. And then the, the bottom of that statement, he says this. If, if your son asks for bread, you won't give him a snake. If your son asks for, I mean, a bread, you won't give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, you won't give him a snake. Then he says this. If you then, though you are evil parents... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How, will your, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you think about it. So he, he, says, he says, you know, I'm looking at a bunch of parents. I'm looking at parents here today. I know many of you as parents. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that the parents I have known sitting here would give their life for their children. It would be an easy decision. Boom. You're, you're somewhere in a a murder comes in and says, somebody in this circle is going to die, and you're there with your two or three kids, and, you're, and, and you say, that's me. There would not be a nanosecond of doubt. But Jesus says on this scale that you, who are really, we would say, incredibly good and kind and providing parents, who wouldn't dare give a stone if your son asked for bread or a snake if you asked for fish, you, even though you are evil compared to the glorious goodness of Abba Father and his love for you. It's this amazing statement. And, and, and so it, it's all about behold the goodness of the Lord. And I'm going to give you several points on prayer and then a couple of application statements. Number one, prayer is difficult. It's going to be a 20-minute seminar on prayer, okay? Prayer is difficult, but it's not as difficult as we make it. Prayer is difficult because we live in a culture of immediacy and noise. There's a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis written in 1944, 45, something like that. So 80 years ago, basically. And it's supposedly letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. They're trying to derail a believer. And so they say in the book, he says, well, he says, if you're if this new believer starts thinking deep thoughts about life and God, do this. Tell him he's hungry. And he says later, if he starts thinking thoughts that would lead him to God, surround him with, with noise, infernal, incessant, unceasing noise. Eight, 1944. Now today, you heighten that times 100. I, I think the reason prayer is difficult is because we're surrounded by noise and stuff and endless podcasts and endless websites. And so there's a book some of us read last year called The Common Rule by a man. It was a wonderful book. Four things you do every day, four things you do once a week, at least once a week. One thing you do every day. He says every day. 
You get up and you spend time in scripture and prayer before you turn on the internet or you go to any media source. He says, you, you've got to do that to you. So that's why it's difficult because we live in this time of, of noise. But hear me, it is not as difficult as we make it to be because prayer is just a child calling out to Abba Father in the name of Jesus. It's, we come as a child. We don't use language that scrapes the Milky Way. We don't use terms we have to look up in a thesaurus. It's just the heart cry of a child coming to the Father. In fact, I have a, a, a weekly card I write prayer requests on, and there are people in that card who have suffered incredible loss recently. There are people on my card who are dealing with substance abuse. There are people on that card who are, who are dealing with sickness, people on that card who need to know Jesus. And sometimes I'll just pray for someone. I've prayed for them for months, maybe years, and this is my prayer. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus, have mercy. That's it. Sometimes that's the most glorious prayer you can pray. Almighty God, in the name of the Savior Jesus, have mercy. Break the hold that this has on this person. Restore this marriage. Bring healing to this person. So it's just the heart cry of a child. Number two, in prayer, we just express our desires to the Lord. The New City Catechism, which I enjoy, question 38, I think you'll see it up here, says, uh, what is prayer? And the answer is prayer is the pouring out of our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. I just want to look at the first little part. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. It's based on Psalm 62, verse 8. We pour out our hearts to the Lord. It's just we express our desires. We, this is something that just has gripped us, and we, we, we are bringing our desires to you. It is an emotive experience. It's just pouring out your hearts to God. And praise, adoration, petition, thanksgiving, and confession of sin. Number three, prayer is dedicating myself afresh to the living God. It is surrendering to the Lord. Um, see, when, when I, I pray, what, what I'm saying is you are God only wise. And apart from your wisdom, God only wise, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do it. You see, when you read the scriptures, the word disciple means learner or follower. And there's sometimes the word disciple is used of people who are interested in Jesus because he's a really smart teacher who walks around telling stories and making statements that are mind-boggling. Time after time in the Gospels, they say, where did he get this learning? I mean, he is brilliant. Where did he get it? And, and so a, a disciple in the, in the New Testament, a disciple at times can be someone who's merely someone who's interested in Jesus as the teacher. So, and, and then people say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe you can be a follower of Jesus in that he's the man who really lived life the way it should be lived and not understand the blood of the cross who covers my sin and the eternal nature of Christ. See, to me, if somebody says, who are you? I said, I am a worshiper of Jesus. 
I worship him because he is God in the flesh. He has no beginning. He has no end. He spoke all of creation into being. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the lion of God and the lamb of God. He died on the cross for my sins. I worship him. And so it is saying, I surrender afresh to you, Lord Christ, when I pray. I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fourthly, I pray with confidence because this is one of the greatest passages on prayers in Hebrews chapter four, where the writer says this, he says, regarding the high priest, he says, since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So here's, here's what, it's just saying that we have a savior who is eternal God, who in the fullness of time became a man. Mind-boggling. I mean, you go to a Muslim person who knows the Quran and knows Muslim theology, and you'll say to them, what is the greatest sin in Islam? In the mind of an Islamic person, they say, well, the greatest sin is to say that God would ever become a man. Just, that's the ultimate blasphemy. And so, or you go to a Hindu and you say, what do you think about God? I said, well, God is undefinable. God is, is myriad. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of gods. I mean, if you go to India, one of the main gods is Ganesh, which is a man who lost his head and was looking for his head. And he found an elephant head and he put it on. And so that's the God of protection. So many cab drivers in, in, in Mumbai or, or, or Calcutta or Delhi, they'll have a, uh, a Ganesh statue on their dash. It's the God of protection. And you come to a simple Bible reading believer and you say, um, what do you believe about God? We believe that God is eternal in the fullness of time. This God became a man. Unbelievable. I read a story one time out of a, a man who was debating an Islamic scholar in a, at Oxford University. And the Islamic scholar was just making light of the fact that God would become a man and that he lived a life among people. How ridiculous that the eternal God of the universe who is eternal and has no beginning, no end, would ever become a man. And after he got through with his long statement, the Christian guy stood up and said, you know, you're right. My God has scars on his hand. <laughs> Amen. So based upon that, he says, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. See, we pray, we pray with confidence. We're not overwhelmed by the situations of life. We, we don't run and hide because we say, God, you understand? You are a man. You are God all wise. And I come with confidence because Jesus died for me. Sometimes I'm praying and I'll say, Father, Psalm 31, 19 says, You've stored up wonderful things for those who fear you. Lord, open a storehouse today and dump it on me. Let me know you.
Let me see you. In Jesus' name. Fifthly, we pray the, the prayer book. Uh, New City Catechism question 40 says, what do we pray? And the answer is this. We, we pray the whole word of God, which directs and inspires us on what we should pray, including the prayer Jesus himself taught us to pray the model prayer. Now, let me, I'm going to give you some application things, some basic statements. So, this is God's prayer book. This is what I do. I pray what I call the Psalm of the day. Uh, today is the 9th of August, so today I pray through Psalm 9. And if you're in Psalm 9, or let's say tomorrow would be Psalm 10, you go every 30, you try to go through several rotations. So tomorrow if I pray Psalm 10, I go, this didn't really get it. I just go to Psalm 40. I, I pray, I, I can quickly run out of things, but if I pray the scripture, I, I think I'm, I'm praying God's mind and heart. So, and then I try to I grab a little anchor phrase from the Psalm of the day. And I just keep it in my brain. For example, this morning, the two things hit me. One was, it says, uh, oh God, you are enthroned as king. So I said, almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are the king. And in your enthroning power, bless this person and this person and this person. Or it says later in the Psalm that he is the stronghold for the oppressed. And I just said, Lord, uh, as the stronghold for the oppressed, bless this person and these people groups and this situation in our country and this and this and this. I, I just, that's, that's, the way I, that's the way I pray. So, so we, you, you, you pray the prayer book. So let me give you a couple of things, just pointers. Number one is this. This is really good. In prayer and in living out our lives, the good news is that our substitute who died on the cross for our sin and shed his blood for our sin is our intercessor. He's praying for us. He's also our mediator. <laughs> so, so the substitute, the eternal God who died on the cross for our sins, right now, according to the scripture in Hebrews 7 and Romans 8, is right now praying for his bride, the church, his people. So our substitute not only died on the cross for our sins, but he's praying for us, and he is our mediator, our mediator. The Bible says, 1 Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so that, that is good stuff. So I look at that, and I think a couple of things. Number one is, there's no shame. Every person who will hear this today, over the age of seven or eight, or maybe nine, Every person has things they've said or done that brings them shame. And, and, and so the devil wants us to operate under shame. That's why I love Psalm 3 where it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And I think what he means by that, the lifter of my head. You take me out of the shame rut and you show me your glory and your goodness. So, so, so the good news is the substitute is my intercessor, is my mediator. There's, there's no shame. Another application is very quickly. When you pray, if you're going to pray biblical prayers as a follower of Jesus, 
you either begin or end your prayer like this. Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus, my mediator. I don't come in the presence of God based upon who I am because that would not be a very pretty sight. You know, I, I come to you in the name of Jesus, my mediator, who died on the cross for my sin, and I pray, Lord, you'd bless this person or honor your name in this situation or bless this people group or whatever, or you make your prayer, and then you pray in Jesus' name. Please don't pray generic, oh, God, I come to you, amen. I mean, that, that's, not a, that's not a biblical prayer. There's one mediator. The reason we're able to come to God is there's a mediator, and his name is Jesus. You see, the substitute is our intercessor, is our mediator. And that is really good news. It's glorious news. So, so that's, that's one. The second thing about, about this is I need to see the absolute necessity of prayer. The, the prayer, again, just prayer, brief minutes of prayer, refreshes, refocuses, and, and gets our gets us, gets, fills us with the hope of God. I, as, as I concentrate on who Jesus is, there's a book. I haven't read it. I love the title, and it's entitled American Foreign Policy, colon, The Jungle Grows Back. Uh, and the title of the book explains the book. Uh, from what I've read, the, the book reviews. In other words, the jungle's always growing back. Therefore, I need the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'm working out of what I want to do this week. I'll put it at the top of my sheet, P-B-T-D, exclamation point, pushing back the darkness. The darkness is always encroaching. I'm never done with sin. I'm never done with lethargy. I'm never done with arrogance. So I desperately need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, fourthly, I talked about the psalm of the day, number four. We pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians, people say, what in the world does that mean? How is that possible? Well, here's what it means. You, 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 you live with an attitude of prayer. Again, don't make it harder. Um, I will oftentimes pray from stoplight to stoplight for a person, a family, a situation. It's just easy. Before you go into a meeting, try to go a little bit early and just kind of walk out to the side and stop and say, Lord, this meeting go north or south, I pray your blessing. Or you see somebody and you just want to, you just pray for them. Oftentimes, we'll pray my hand. It's with me. Thanks, thanks be to God, he gave me a hand. So, so I, the, the thumb is my immediate family and my grandkids, especially right now. That's good. Index finger for those who point the way in the name of Jesus. Missionaries, Barnabas partners here, Barnabas partners internationally. Big finger represents the, the biggest of those who are in authority. I pray for our government, people and officials who, who lead us, that they would rule, lead us with wisdom and they would understand righteous standards. The, 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 this finger represents people that are hurting. The weak finger, I just pray for people that are hurting. And just call it God, have mercy upon them. There are all types of people that are on my list. And, and this, the smallest finger represents the coming generations. Oh God, have mercy on the coming generations. May my generation, may we live faithfully unto you and pass it on to them. May we be people of biblical fidelity. I, just, I guess the, 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 thing, the thing I would say is, is don't make it hard. How do you prepare? How do you keep your heart energized? Jesus says you pray. How do you not throw in the towel and just get bitter and angry and forlorn? You pray. So a couple things now, two more things. Number one, 
I know this kind of sounds like we're going on a junior or a middle school retreat, but I would encourage you to have a prayer partner four weeks at a time. Just go to someone and say, will you be my prayer partner? And what does that mean? Well, we're going to pray together a couple times a week. Maybe not a person over the phone for three minutes. Then that'd be exhaustive. But I just believe that prayer brings refreshment to my soul. I need somebody just to pray with me. I've learned to pray by praying with old saints, older saints. They've taught me how to pray. And the Holy Spirit, but they've taught me how to pray. The last thing is this. I'm going to talk to the dads here. If you're married, the dads and husbands, you are the servant leader of your home. Servant? Yep. Leader? Yep. So dads, uh, have family prayer time. Uh, if you have kids, we, we did this. I, I would say we're going to have uh, we'd eat supper, and then we'd have family prayer. And I would read a couple of verses, read us something, and we'd pray. And it was never, it was rarely something that was glorious. It was often filled with, here we go again, Dad. I can't believe we're doing this, that type thing. But I, do, I think when you pray as a family, you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. I do believe that. And I think it drives a stake in the ground for your kids. I think it's very important. Husbands, pray with your wives. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy. Just say, hey, let's pray. Let's read this verse of Scripture and let's pray. I'll pray first and you pray. And just come before the Lord and say, Lord, please make our home sing with your reality. And, and you may have to say as a father, or, or I have, I've had to say this, I've had to say this, man, I've blown it. I haven't done it like I should. But let's, let's begin again. Let's do it right. Let's, do, let's really honor Jesus. So husbands, pray with your wives. Just pray with your wife. Um, pray with your kids. How do you pray in such a fashion without ceasing? You don't make it hard. How do you not lose heart, Jesus says? You pray. Because God is gloriously good and he loves us. And if an unjust judge is going to listen to a widow, how much more we are a glorious heavenly father who loves you, listen to your prayers. So encouraging. Lord, thank you for the day that you've given us. And we long, every day, we long for more and more of the reality of Christ to be poured into our lives. So bless us, I pray, and give us your mind. Lord, I, I pray that in this season of COVID and of political campaigns and not knowing when to go forward or when to go back or when to go to school or where to pull back, or there's so much consternation. I pray that we would not lose heart, but we trust you and go forward. Uh, please work in us. Thank you that you're good. Good, you're good, you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I'm going to make a statement now. You know that on the Internet, many of you know that we have asked you to vote on the payroll protection plan that was offered to us by the, the, our, the government. And after we uh, consulted with attorneys here and uh, outside of our area, and after we called leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention and got their advice, we decided to go forward with the payroll protection plan. We were given that, that loan or that grant, however you want to look at it. Um, now, new paragraph. Thank you for your faithfulness. Our giving has been strong, and we're so thankful for that. We're so, so thankful for your faithfulness. So thank you very much for that. 
um, please know that part of the payroll protection plan, a significant part of it, was to make sure that we could pay the salaries of our teachers at Palmetto Christian Academy, our school here. And in light of things going south financially, and so that's one reason we did it. So thank you for your vote. The vote was like 77 or 78 percent yes, 22, 23 percent no. That being said, let me say this. Usually when we ask you to vote, it's 98 percent to two or 99 to one or 97 to three. So 22 to 23 percent of our people voting no is very significant. And we want to make sure that we walk together with an attitude of peace and understanding. If you have any questions about this, then see me and I can point you to someone that can answer your questions. But we really want you to understand why this happened and how we're going forward uh, during these days. So, but, but thank you for your attention and your kindness. And, but please hear me in that. Thank you.